right, guys, welcome to week two of Like a Boss. How you guys doing this morning? Fantastic. I tell you, I love fall weather. Uh, I don't know what happened to fall weather because I think we've skipped to winter. Um, I woke up this morning, it was 33 degrees, and I'm like, I can't wear shorts anymore. So, it. But anyway, and some of you are very thankful that I'm not wearing shorts, and I appreciate that, even though I have attractive legs. Um, my name's Chris, and we are in week two of our series entitled Like a Boss. And as we're talking about in this series, we're talking about what does God have to say about work and about jobs. And we looked at last week that God has a lot to say about work because work was God's idea. Now, last week we really asked and answered the question, what is the purpose of work? And we discovered that there are four primary purposes of why many of us work. The first one is we pay the bills. And again, uh, we know this one because of the whole I-O-I-O, it's off to work we go, and we got to pay the mortgage and MasterCard. The second one is our identity. And we talked last week that the the first question that somebody asks you if they don't know you is, what is your name? And the second question is what? What do you do? Exactly right. And that we can find our identity sometimes in not a good way in our jobs. And we really talked a lot about that last week. Identity, and the third one, we talked about this a lot last week, is purpose. That many times, many of us, we find purpose in our job. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But as we discovered last week, um, that uh, we're, we're not to get purpose just from being good at something. Uh, that, that there's something else in play here. The last one is success. And all of us, we want to be a success at what we do. We want to be able to make a lot of money to keep up with our Joneses, to keep up with our boss. And all four of these are, 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 are valid reasons, I should say, that many of us work, but they're not the best reason. And last week, we looked at the whole idea of even though all four of these are there, there's a missing component here that you and I will never discover and understand our purpose at work until we understand the purpose of work. And last week, what we talked about was simply this, that the purpose of your life at work is discover that God is at work in your life. That the purpose of your life at work is to discover that God is is to show that God is at work in your life. And we talked about this series, we're looking at two primary sources. Uh, Because I'm a pastor, you're here at church, we're going to be looking at what God has to say about the subject of work. But we're also going to be looking at a guy who has actually had more jobs in here than any of us put together. And his name is Mike Rowe. And uh, some of you, you might be micro fans, the whole dirty jobs, or somebody's got to do it. Uh, but we're going to be looking at a few clips in this series of what Mike Rowe has to say about work. In fact, let's watch this one right now. Well, the way to deal with a difficult boss depends entirely on uh, what your long-term plan is. I think difficult bosses present really, really great opportunities to be shockingly candid, uh, if you want to be. I also think they present great opportunities to do a thing that would typically make most employees really uncomfortable. You do the exact thing that you don't want to do. You show up early, you stay late, and without being too much of a, of a suck-up, you make it crystal clear you're standing by to do whatever the hard thing is. You want to volunteer? Raise your hand before you know what the job is. Make yourself indispensable. You know, if your plan is to eventually dominate the world, and run the joint, uh, that's the way to go. If not, set up a video camera on your desk and 
go down in a fantastic blaze of glory and profane, unforgettable histrionics. Watch yourself on the uh, on the interwebs. Don't do that. <laughs> like Mike Rowe. In fact, uh, a good friend of mine just texted me a reminder that Mike Rowe's an Eagle Scout. Uh, and uh, the person who texted me is an Eagle Scout. I'm an Eagle Scout. My dad's an Eagle Scout. In fact, how many of y'all, uh, how many of y'all you would say you're an Eagle Scout? Let me see your hands. Any of y'all? All right. So I, I can hear your voice. All right. Uh, Dave Thompson, uh, uh, one of our, our previous student pastors and our teaching pastor, he's an Eagle Scout. So um, Mike Rowe has a lot of wise things to say about work and about job. And I believe that God even has even wiser things to say. So as we dig in today, I want to really ask and answer a question that many of us, we grew up and people always asked us this question. In fact, if you were like in elementary school or if you were in middle school or high school people, you grew up hearing this question. But when you went to college or when you uh, uh, maybe got out of college, or maybe you uh, entered into the army, or however that looked like, people stopped asking you this question. And here's the question that all of us, we get asked when we are young, but when we're older, people don't ask us this question, and it's simply this. What do you want to be when you what? Grow up. What did you say? What were some of the things that came to your mind? You remember that question? What do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, didn't we, didn't we dream big? Didn't we dream large? Uh, tall, all right, maybe a tall cup of water. Maybe you want to be a cowboy. Uh, how many of y'all, let me just hear you. What's some of the things you want to be? A ballerina, okay. Architect, very good. Teacher, doctor, all right. This is so interesting. Um, Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple Computer, says this. He said, we all grow up wanting to put a ding in the universe, to put a dent in the universe. You remember that feeling? Now, again, I don't know how you ask, uh, how you answer that question, architect, teacher, ballerina, a policeman. Uh, I, I tell you, I want to just, just briefly kind of share with you how, what I wanted to be when I grew up is I wanted to be an astronaut. Uh, I grew up during the time of, uh, uh, I grew up around airplanes all my life. My dad, uh, he worked around airplanes, has it, had his exploration. And uh, I was born years after we put illustration transition from the Saturn rockets 
to the, uh, that took the 12 Americans to the moon to the space shuttle and the external... gotten so cold that the o-ring had shrunk and then when it ex- it went off it exploded i was 15 at the time and i remember watching that and it just shook me to my core what did you want to be when you grew up we woke up and we stopped dreaming we found ourselves working for a job that we're less than passionate about. We found ourselves selling a product that we're not very interested in, and we found ourselves working for a boss that closely resembles Michael Scott from The Office. And we wake up one day and we say, is this it? Is this it? And you see, I think for most of us, there's a frustrating gap. Uh, there's this gap between what we wanted to become and what, in fact, what we're doing. Many of us where we have to pay MasterCard and we have to accept reality and there's a gap there and usually spouse and all you do is complain right you get together with people on the weekend of this company if i was the boss this is what i would do and you keep dreaming but you complain and option number three is the option that i want to talk about for the rest of our time this morning think as Whatever you want to be. I mean, how many of you Right? All of us have heard that. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. And, 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 and here's the reason. I am a retarded monkey when it comes to math, Right? I mean, I mean, and you know what? Those of like The Voice or The American Idol, and at the very beginning of those things are really fun, aren't they? Because you get the people who can't what? Sing. But they believe. 
guy that you can be whatever you want to be. I mean, I may, even though I may, And hear me, I, I love Michael Jordan. Let me tell you what I'm never going to be. I'm never going to be Air Jordan. You, want, you know why? Because gravity likes me too much. I'm kind of Earth Edmondson, right? Because my, my jump, I mean, he... he let's just go motivate. don't think it's a reality but problem number two i think it's very limiting because in order to think you know, okay whatever i want to be that means you have to think it up and, and and that means you're going with the presupposition that you're in charge let me just bust your bubble right now you're not in charge you're not. but today i want to present to you a totally different perspective that you can still dream you don't have to stop dreaming. You can still dream, and you can dream large. And you can... But I want to give you... What, what do you want to be? And you could be whatever you want to be. But here's a better question. What does God want you to be? God wants you to be. What does God want you to become? Because if you think you can dream, I can guarantee you, with all due respect to you, that God can dream bigger than you. In fact, listen, listen to what Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says. God can do, excuse me, what does that say? Anything more you know more than you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. God can do what? Anything. God has bigger dreams for your life. God has bigger dreams for my life than you and I can ever imagine. I don't know about you, but I can imagine a lot, can't you? I can. But it's not I can be anything I want to be. It's this. God, who are you leading me to be? That's door number three. So today, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture, and it gives you the best career advice that you can ever, ever, ever have. Remember, I kind of told you last week, one of the things I like doing is reading business books and leadership books. But today, we're going to be looking, and we're going to be receiving the best career advice from the person who is going to be kind of, kind of shocking to you. And we're going to be getting this advice from Jesus. Now, the reason why I say it's shocking is because we typically think of Jesus in religious terms. We typically think of Jesus as a wise moral teacher. We think of Jesus as a religious leader. In fact, many of us, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But we rarely think of Jesus as a business guy. We rarely think of Jesus as a worker, which is a bit ironic when you understand the historical facts about Jesus. You see, Jesus, he grew up in the home of a business guy. He grew up in the home of a manual worker. His earthly father, Joseph, was not a rabbi, 
was not a politician, was not a religious leader. Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, made a living swinging and slinging a hammer. In fact, they scoffed at Jesus. He is just the son of a what? Carpenter. The word carpenter, this is interesting, the word carpenter in the Greek can mean someone who can work with wood. But it can also mean someone who slings a hammer and works with stone. Since there were very few trees located in Israel, it's more likely that Joseph and Jesus, they actually didn't work with wood, but they worked with stone. They were stonemasons. In fact, there is a city very, very, very close to Nazareth, just four miles away, northwest, called Sephorus that came into being around the time Jesus was a little boy. In fact, let me show you some pictures. This is a picture of Sephorus, this town that sprung up into into reality during Jesus' time. Keep on going. You can kind of go through these. And what happened is Joseph and Jesus probably carved out the stones to help create this amphitheater. My point is this. When you think of Jesus... And we think only of a religious leader? No, you need to understand that Jesus grew up swinging a hammer. He could tell you what was good craftsmanship and what was bad craftsmanship. Jesus could tell you the difference between excellent work and poor work. Jesus could tell you all about a very strong work ethic. Here's what Mike Rowe has to say about work ethic. Watch this. He's not saying much, actually. Go for it. But look, we need to stop promoting higher education at the expense of every other form of learning. It's just crazy. It leads to unintended consequences. And right now we've got a big one. It's called a skills gap. And the skills gap is bad news for anybody who's addicted to uh, paved roads or electricity or indoor plumbing. Welders, plumbers, electricians, carpenters, steam fitters, pipe fitters all across the country... There's shortages in these areas, even with unemployment going through the roof. It's crazy. Fifty years ago, those jobs were critical. They still are. The problem is we just don't value them the way we used to. So we don't encourage people to pursue them. We're so focused on getting into the corner office, we forgot how to build a corner office. I tell you, I believe that Jesus could not only occupy the corner office, but he could build it as well. I believe that Jesus had skills to pay the bills. So as we look into this, we don't need to be surprised that Jesus was a worker. In fact, let me just kind of bust a bunch of bubbles here. How many of y'all, you remember seeing the pics of Jesus that looks like this? Anybody remember that? The white cracker Jesus, right? And, uh, and, and the Jesus who was, who was kind of like, uh, go to the next one. Is there a next one? Okay, there's no next. All right. It, it, it's the Jesus who is kind of always holding a lamb back, right? It, and I would just say, kind of wimpy, right? I mean, we see Jesus on the street corner. Uh, I, I, we could probably beat this dude up, right? Let me just kind of say this. I don't believe this is factual Jesus. Um, I believe Jesus was more dark-complected than Caucasian. And I also believe Jesus worked for a living, and he probably didn't look like this. He made his living swinging a hammer. And if we saw Jesus in a dark alley, I think 
it, just by his physique, we'd be going, oh, okay, I, you know. But Jesus, he had the demeanor uh, of, of, of a very godly, meek person, but I think he had the physique of someone who worked for a living. He had calloused hands. So, as we dig into this, this ver- these verses, these 10 verses found in Luke chapter 16, and that's where we're going to be at today. Luke chapter 16. I just want to remind you that many of the stories that Jesus told were business stories, stories about work, stories about work ethic, uh, stories about business situations that had to do with money. And in Luke chapter 16, we have a very cool, amazing, and a very perplexing story that, to be honest with you, I could spend the next three months on, and we still would not get everything out of it. So I'm not going to be able to do it justice today. We're going to be looking at the first nine verses, is context. In verse 10, we're going to discover the best career advice that you and I could ever get. Are you guys ready? This is what it says in Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus told his disciples... shame to beg. I know what I'm going to do. Look at this. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. He replied. He told them, now, take your bill and make it 800. And then Jesus begins to comment on this story. It's a pretty perplexing story, and he says this. The master commended his dishonest manager because he had acted what? Shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends. For yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcome into eternal dwelling. So Jesus is telling this story, and it kind of leaves us kind of all scratching our heads. And then in verse 10, he gives us this incredible advice the best business advice you will ever and I will ever receive. There's a lot going on here, but let's really dive into this last verse and see how Jesus sums it up. Verse 10 Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much whoever can be trusted with very little will be trusted with much now i know what you're probably thinking you're thinking okay that's true but is it the best business advice you could ever receive well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to dig really deep into that last verse. And, this, and we're going to see a gem of a principle. And this principle that we're going to discover, if you and I will align ourselves to what God is leading us to become in the future, by doing the one thing that you can do as early as tomorrow and maybe even today. So let's unpack this verse. If you're a business owner, here's what business owners do. Business owners look into their business and they study their employees and try to figure out who can be honest and trusted with very little. 
Because whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with what? Much, exactly right. All right, there's a principle there. But Jesus shares this from a symbolic standpoint as well because he's saying that there is a, not just an owner that you work for, there's a big owner. This big owner, he's the owner of everything. He's your heavenly father. And we looked at this last week. And just like any other owner, he's paying attention to see who is faithful in the little things so that he can trust them with big things. It's a sign. Whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. Now, again, it sounds simple, but I think there's a disconnect here because so many of us, I mean, if we were to be honest with ourselves tomorrow, you and I are going to pray, and our prayers are going to go something like customers. Or, or, or if you're in the army, bless me with more responsibility. Bless me um, with, uh, with more opportunities. But let me tell you what God is doing. God is looking at you to see, what are you doing with the customers that you have now? God is asking the question, what are you doing with the responsibility I've already given you as an E2? God is asking the question, what are you doing with the opportunities you have now? Many of us, we're praying for that next big phone call. When God is watching to see how we're going to handle the phone calls, they're going to come in today. We're praying for a larger leadership opportunities in the company we work for. God, give me more, give me more people to lead. And God is over here going, oh, well, how, how well are you doing leading the three people that you have underneath you? So as we pray for more and more and more, God is over here saying, let's see what you're going to do with what I've already given you. Because whoever can be trusted with, can be trusted with, there you go. Now, if you're in the business world, you understand this. There's a basic business principle that says that great and thriving businesses over time are really built one customer interaction at a time. And that's how it's built. And so in essence, what Jesus is saying is this. If you want to align yourself with who God is leading you to become, if you want to be put God at the center of your work, the most important thing that you can do is to be found faithful in the small things. And this is our big idea today. Be faithful in the small things because God is paying attention. Can we say that out loud? Be faithful in the... Because God is paying attention. Be faithful in the small things because God is paying attention. You leave the future up to God, you be found faithful with what's right in front of you and what's in your hands. Now, let me kind of illustrate how this works by giving you a person that some of you, you've heard of, but you all love eating the store, this restaurant that he started. This guy right here. Anybody know who this is? Truett Cathy, exactly right. Truett Cathy is the founder of Chick-fil-A. How many of y'all like Chick-fil-A? Let me hear you. All right, love me some Christian chicken, right? So uh, the gospel bird, all right? So here's the thing. Let me just tell you a little bit about Truett Cathy. Truett Cathy started Chick-fil-A from very humble beginnings, and after a while it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. And he really did epitomize the principle of Luke 16.10. Back in the 1990s, you know, things are going really well. There's a lot of Chick-fil-A's everywhere. There's a lot of Chick-fil-A's in malls. Not a lot of uh, freestanding Chick-fil-A's, if you will. But back in the 1990s, a restaurant came out by the name of Boston Market. Anybody ever eaten at Boston Market? All right. Like me some Boston Market as well. Boston Market was really the only competition Chick-fil-A ever had. 
Boston Market came out, uh, uh, came out with an IPO and had a ton of money, and they started building restaurants literally all over the country, and suddenly Chick-fil-A started feeling pressure. And this is the first time that Chick-fil-A really had any competition. So all the people, all the smart people at Chick-fil-A, all the bored people, they started asking this question. How can Chick-fil-A get bigger, faster, bigger, faster, bigger, faster? So this went on for about a year. How can Chick-fil-A get bigger? How can we grow faster? They sent some people to New York to see how much money they could be able to borrow so that they could keep up with Boston Market. The entire discussion went on for about a year, and it culminated one afternoon at Chick-fil-A headquarters out in Atlanta. They're all sitting in a conference room around a big table. Trick Cathy is at the end of the conference table. He's in his 70s by now. All of these young, smart, blowing and going guys, these young bucks, are all with these charts and graphs and all of these ideas of how we can get bigger, faster, bigger, faster, bigger, faster. And Mr. Kathy is clearly not engaged in the conversation. He's clearly not impressed about what's going on. Everybody is arguing and throwing out all of these ideas of how we can get bigger, faster, bigger, faster, bigger, faster. And all of a sudden, Truett Kathy starts pounding the table, pounding the table until everybody goes quiet. Truett Kathy, he says this, I'm sick and tired of listening to you all talk about how we can get bigger. And then he said this, if we get better... Our customers will demand us to get bigger. You see, what Truett Cathy was saying was that you're asking the wrong question. The question is not, how do we get bigger, faster, bigger, faster? That's the wrong question. The right question we need to ask is the question, how do we get better? Because if we get better, we will get bigger. Because whoever is trusted with a little bit, can be trusted with much the most important thing you and i can ever be ever done is to be found faithful in small things today now that sounds simple but here's where the challenge comes in challenge number one is you know what we focus on things that are out of our control don't we I mean, we focus on things that we're, if we're not careful, we get consumed about the things that are out of our control, and we get worried, we get anxious, we get stressed out about things that are not in our control. And Jesus is saying today, you know what, you can do that. It's not very helpful. I actually said something about that in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, don't worry about today. You can do all of that. That's not what shrewd people do. Shrewd people don't just sit around and worry about it. Because there are some things that you can't control. You can control your attitude. One, uh, um, one of my mentors in seminary, Chuck Swindoll, said this, that, 90, uh, that, that life is, is 90% attitude and 10% what happens to you. And I totally agree with that. You can control your attitude. You can control your work ethic. What time you show up to work and what time you leave. Are you showing up late and leaving early? You can control the level and the output and the quality of your work. You can control that. And ultimately, you can control even who you work for. We talked about that last week. You don't like your boss? Fire him. Don't tell him he's fired. You're fired. Don't tell him that. Right? But you fire him in your head and you work for who? You work for God. You work for Jesus. Exactly right. You can control that. But let me tell you our second challenge. This is where I want to land on as, as we wind up today. We focus on our career, not on our character. And let me tell you, that is a mistake. That is a mistake. The longer I live 
And the more I read God's word, the more I realize that God cares far much, far less about what you do. Did you know that? He, he focuses more on who you're becoming. Why? Because God cares more about your character than your career. God cares what, what you're becoming more than what you're doing. And, and in our American society, we get so laser-focused on what am I going to do, what am I going to do, what am I going to do, what am I going to do? But you see, we, go, let's go back to that question. When, you, when I grow up, who, are, who am I going to become? That's a better question. It's not about the doings. In fact, did you know that we're not called human doings? We're called what? Human beings. God is far more interested in what you're becoming rather than what you're doing. And here's the reason why. The depth of your character ultimately determines the length and the breadth of your career. The depth of your character, who you're becoming, will ultimately determine the length and the breadth of your career. Why? Because character always trumps competency. Always. Character, character, not competency, always determines your capacity. Always. I mean, we know people who were very talented, all right? They were very competent at what they were doing that aren't doing it anymore. Why? Because they had a character issue, don't we? I mean, we know of, of, of people who were great stars or great athletes. The, the, the longer I'm alive as a pastor, and I'm 44 years old, the more I realize, that, you know what, that, that doing ministry isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. And I don't even have to be that great of a leader or that great of a communicator. I just got to not sleep with people and not steal. Seriously. It's a character issue. It is a character issue. And I think many of us, we, we focus on our doings and becoming competent and becoming competent when God is saying, what is your character looking like? Because if you're faithful in the small things, that's character, by the way, you're going to be faithful in large ones. Because God is watching. God is watching. It's not about doings, it's about becoming. And whatever you face tomorrow in light of this principle, it's an extraordinary opportunity because the more difficult your situation is at your work, the faster your character has a chance to grow. Listen to what James chapter 1, verses 2-4 through four says this. Dear brothers and sisters, when what? I'm sorry, this is an all-skate morning. How many of y'all got some troubles? Let me hear you. Yes, sir. You got some troubles. When troubles come your way, you got to do something you got to consider it. When you consider something, what part of your, of your uh, body are you using? Your brain. Consider it a what? An opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be, what does it say? Perfect. Complete. Need nothing. You see, the more difficult your situation is tomorrow... The greater your opportunity, the faster your character will grow. And let me tell you, your Heavenly Father cares more about your character than your competency. He cares more about what you're becoming than what you're doing. Because ultimately, 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 the depth of your character will ultimately determine the length and the breadth of your career. Man, so what do we do with this information? You see, we can stop dreaming... Or we can 
keep on dreaming and complain. But the third option is this. We put God in the center. And we ask the question, not what do I want to become, but who is God calling me to become? What is our being going to look like? What is going to happen when we hit the 9 to 5? When, when, on Monday through Friday, when we kind of look at our 9 to 5 job and we say, okay, God, what do you want me to do in this? So my challenge as we close today is this. What would you and I do if we were confident that God was actually paying attention? What would you and I do if we were confident that God is actually paying attention? What would you do Monday, 9 o'clock, you show up and you're there in your cubicle and you just got there and what do you do at that moment? Do you get on Facebook? Do you get on Yelp? Do you get on Instagram? Candy Crush? What are you doing at work? What would you and I do if we were confident that God was watching from nine to five?